Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we are going to talk about the Biden busted VP candidate, uh, former VP presidential candidate Biden busted the reopening of America virus politics versus science and is Lieutenant General Michael Flynn about to be free? And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to express thanks again to Real News PR and the Real News Communication Network for making this possible to continue doing my show every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, because people are working from home, including myself. This is obviously not my normal studio, but a studio at home was working just great. In today's first five, I just want to touch on the the story a lot of people have been focusing on about Joe Biden. And this is, you know, he is the presumptive nominee for the um, Democrats for president this year. I will maintain what I have said all along. There is no way the Democrat Party is going to let him be on that ballot in November of this year due to his, and I'm not, I'm sorry for him, but due to his dementia, declining ability to communicate, his incredible corruption related to Ukraine and his general, just uninteresting to the voting base, the Democrat party, they won't let him do it. But he's a presumptive nominee right now. And this week, the story came out more publicly about a woman who worked for him when he was a US Senator worked in his office and accuses him of sexual assault against her. Her name is Tara Reed, R-E-A-D-E, Tara Reed. She claims in 1993 he cornered her in his office uh, and was very physically aggressive um, and actually uh, using his hands penetrated her. I'm sorry to say that in this lovely classy show, but that's the level of conduct that he um, that he that she claims he engaged in. Well, of course, the campaign denied it. But now what's come to light is that Tara Reed's mother, having heard about this incident from her daughter at the time, called into the Larry King show. Larry King used to be on CNN, and there's a clip available of what the mother said to Larry King. So I have Matt, the wonderful producer, is going to play that clip. And I just want to tell you why this actually really does matter in the 2020 election cycle. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm wondering what um, uh, a, a staffer uh, would do, do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. Okay, let me say the rest of the conversation was rather inane and Larry King. I mean, I didn't ever used to watch his show, but uh, not a stellar journalistic analysis of the call. But the point is, Tara Reid, the woman who claims that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her, told friends or that her mom told her that she had called into Larry King basically to say, what are you supposed to do if you're a staffer in Washington and someone in power does something like this? Obviously, the call that you just heard, that's all we have of the story that the mom told Larry King, no description of the conduct. But what's happened, Tara Reid mentioned 
to the media that her mom had told her she'd called into CNN to Larry King and that she, Tara Reid, had complained to her mother, don't do this, this could hurt me, embarrass me, blah, blah. Well, now that this allegation is out there, now that Joe Biden is apparently the Democrat contender for president here in 2020, more attention is being focused on this story. So someone actually dug up that little clip you just heard on Larry King's show. Tara Reid commented in hearing it, yeah, that, that is my mother's voice. And, um, and it's funny, Larry King mispronounced. I happen to know that town at San Luis Obispo. But anyway, that little town in California, I've actually been there many times and know it well. That mom lived in San Luis Obispo, according to Terry Reed, and was the, Tara Reed. And she is the one who, Tara Reed says, yes, I recognize my mom's voice. All of this just validates that at least at the time, Tara Reid told people what had happened to her. She told her mom. She's also, because other uh, media outlets have been investigating, it turns out she actually did tell a couple of friends. So it's not just that she is alone uh, in, in claiming this story happened the first time for the first time now, um, interfering with the Democrats' presidential campaign. She told people back at the time. But the real point I want to get and why this story matters to you is just to urge you to think about the way the Democrat media mob in this country handled allegations against now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh when the allegations were from a time when Kavanaugh was a minor. It wasn't even, it was a high school conduct. It was a, the girl making the allegation was in, talking about from high school. It's years and years later, obviously like 30, whatever it was, 36 or seven years later, I believe I recall. And there was nobody at all who could corroborate anything the accuser of Kavanaugh had to say. Nobody. Even the friends that the accuser named and said, well, I, I think so-and-so, I might have said something to her or so-and-so. Not one of the people she listed as my good friends who maybe could corroborate my story, corroborate my story. None of those people would corroborate. All of them said, I've never heard about this. I never knew about it. She never told me about this. Uh, one even indicated very subtly, I don't think so. So you have an allegation occurring in high school, if at all, which I conclude at the end of it all, watching all of the hearings and her conduct, I think it was entirely concocted with a political motivation to try to keep Kavanaugh off of the Supreme Court. But whatever you think about that, my point in talking about today is to really recognize how completely dishonest the Democrat media mob is in this country. They raked Justice Kavanaugh over the coals in headlines and stories and interviews for weeks after week after week after week. They came up with a hashtag, believe the woman. So any woman, so the story went when they were trying to destroy Justice Kavanaugh, any woman should be believed. If she makes the allegation, it happened. And I said at the time, we need to reject that as women. We need to reject that because that entirely throws away the constitutional premise of innocent until proven guilty, the right to have uh, any charges against you uh, reviewed, the right to have due process. The utter idiocy of the believe the woman slogan was made obvious in that kind of case. There was no basis or evidence whatsoever. And everything about her story continued to fall apart the longer she sat up there in the Senate testifying. I'm raising this to you to say, there will be in the future other allegations of sexual misconduct 
toward people in the public eye, people elected officials, uh, and people in business, all sorts of people. Everyone actually deserves the presumption of innocence. Everyone deserves due process. No one should ever be convicted, even in the public mind, because of a hashtag slogan the radical left came up with, believe the woman. But in this particular case, I really want to invite you to memorize this moment, keep track of this, make a mental note. Next time an allegation is made against anyone who is in public office, anyone who's in a position to help or hurt the radical left, recognize they don't mean anything they're saying. They didn't mean anything they were saying when they talked about Justice Kavanaugh. They just wanted to find a way to destroy him and thought they had it. But in this particular case, you have a far more credible allegation against Joe Biden than was ever possible in the Kavanaugh instance. You have a, some, a woman who told people at the time what occurred. She didn't wait 20, 30 years and then say, hey, by the way, did I ever mention this happened? Told people at the time, but this little clip from the Larry King show. This little clip that is, the woman says her mom told her she called Larry King. The woman says she recognizes her mom's voice. The, the callers from San Luis Obispo, which is, you know, not a, it's a, you know, it's not a tiny little town, but it's not a big city like a caller from New York. It's a unique place to be from calling to Larry King. This is really all the validation the media should need that this story, at least that Tara Reid did tell her mother at the time it occurred. And I really, I think it's incumbent on uh, leftist women in this country who want to be believed, want to be taken seriously, don't want to have their allegations dismissed out of hand. It's incumbent on women to give credence to this woman in this case. I still don't think Joe Biden is going to, to end up with a nomination. In fact, some of the people who are his likely VP contenders were interviewed over the weekend. You had uh, Amy Klobuchar, Klobuchar was on some show. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is not really a contender, but she was on some show. And, and uh, all the people who were even in contention or even allegedly on his short list, no one's even asked about it. The media doesn't go after the women who are potentially going to be Biden's VP and say, so what do you think about Joe Biden and his conduct toward Tara Reid in 1993? What do you think about that, do you believe? No one does that to these women. They won't do it to these women. He will get a pass because he's a member of the left-wing ruling elite mob that does not have to play by the rules they intend to inflict on everybody else. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, I, today I want to hit this story. I mean, I know it just kind of seems like it's all we ever talk about, but I want to hit this story again uh, and really about uh, where we are with the coronavirus and the shutdown that we are all living through. I think it's important to understand that a lot of, you know, the left is always trying to say, believe the science, follow the science. That's what we in the left do. We care about science. We don't care about allegations and opinions. We're into science. So I want to start with a few things that I think are helpful um, in, in getting all of us clearer about the big picture of what is the science we are talking about in this country related to the coronavirus, the COVID-19 disease, the spread of the virus, the danger of the virus, because one premise I want to hit on, and I will tell you why I'm headed this way. I think President Trump needs to publicly say that it is time for a second medical opinion for the country about how do we handle coronavirus. 
he has been heavily, as he should as president, heavily relying on the people who are supposed to have those jobs, doctors Fauci and Burks and other experts that they turn to. But the entire course we chose as a country to respond to the threat of the coronavirus was completely based in, born out of the recommendations of doctors Fauci and Burks. The whole way we went after in our country, the decision to uh, the guidelines from Washington then carried down to places around the country. So governors, mayors, county officials, putting in place new laws and ordinances and edicts and regulations, all putting into place based on the guidelines from Washington that basically say the way we're going to do this, the way that we're gonna fight coronavirus is to have shelter in place orders, basically make everybody stay home from work, we're going to have a social distancing as the new norm for who knows how long, and we're going to wear masks in public. We had all and all the hand washing things, but hand washing is obviously not burdensome, and everyone can do that, whether whatever other things we choose. But the things that have really just brought the American economy to a halt are all policies that came out of listening to the advice of doctors Fauci and Burks. So we had the solution was to shelter in place, wear masks, socially distance, and basically end the free market system in America, or at least put it on hold for a long, long, long time. I want to start with, there was a great video out, and I want to start by with that today, a great video out by two doctors in California. They're in Kern County, California, and they are actually the heads of the largest medical group, uh, testing group in California. And... They sat down, two of them in a you know, conference room, nothing fancy, but sat down and presented a report to a group of reporters. You never see them in the video, but a group of reporters. And these two doctors named Dr. Daniel Erickson and Dr. Artin Masahi, two doctors, two guys, sat down and went through with the media sitting there listening to them, the data they had gathered as they have been testing for the presence of the coronavirus in people in California, they've been gathering data about testing results, hospitalization, and death rates. In addition to doing it in Kern County where they are, they also did it for the state of California. They chose other places in America. They chose countries around the world and they studied data. And these are doctors, they both, as I said, they've both for 20 years been practicing in the realm of microbiology and immunology. These are not, you know, uh, I don't mean to make fun of other doctors, but these are, these are doctors who are, whose life work is invested in studying this area, understanding the immune system and understanding the way disease travels through society. I cannot urge you strongly enough once you hear what I'm going to play for you, we can talk about it, to get a hold of their whole video on my website, americachemitalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links, I have linked to their videos. I cannot urge you strong enough to actually listen to everything they have to say. One thing I didn't fit in, and I'll, I'll do this last little intro before I have, I did ask Matt, the wonderful producer, to pull a, a fairly lengthy clip. And mainly I did that because I really want to make sure that you can see not just what they're talking about. They're talking about the data, but you can see their demeanor. They're just educated, intelligent, calm professionals. 
laying forth information they have learned from their practice of medicine. So the one little fact I want to mention to you, which I, I know we, we touch on this story of the uh, entire challenge we have in this country right now with coronavirus almost every show these days, and we may have touched on this piece before, but I want to mention it again. And that is that the way human beings, they describe this in the video if you watch the whole thing, but the way human beings acquire immunity, they we're talking about you know, when you're born, when a baby's born, Baby's born without immunities. I mean, you're just, you're born. And what happens as a baby, as a child, you, know, you crawl around. They actually gave this example. You crawl around as a baby. You have your hand on the carpet, hand on the floor. Then you put your hand in your mouth when you're a baby. You come into contact with viruses. You come into contact with germs, bacteria, viruses. The point being that your body needs to have those introduced so that you develop immunity. That's how humans develop immunity. When we get vaccines, when children or adults get vaccines, immunizations, they are actually ingesting, they are, they are injecting the virus that they're a small weak portion of the virus trying to get help your system to do the normal process your system you know, knows to do, which is to fight the virus by developing antibodies. So they're one premise they had is that the choice we made back when we first became aware of coronavirus and we had you know just astonishingly wrong information coming out of the um both from england from dr neil ferguson and his data from other uh, the institute at university of washington uh, just horrible projections of death rates and because of that we chose the most cautious approach which was to tell everyone in the country stay home nobody goes every anywhere everything shut down except essential businesses the idea of that was never to help Americans acquire immunity to the coronavirus. It's exactly the opposite. It is to prevent you having contact with the coronavirus. So therefore you have no potential of ever developing the immunity. So I'm gonna put a comma there and ask Matt the Wonderful to play. Um, I actually think I sent him two, um, two, maybe it's one or two, anyway, I sent him links to uh, a segments of this interview by these two doctors. And they're trying to explain basically to people what the data they have gathered shows, what the data show in terms of infection rates in this country, how many people have already come in contact with coronavirus, far more than we thought, how many, and, and eventually also what about the, the death rate, coming into the idea that we need to understand the death rate from the virus also. So I'm gonna ask Matt the Wonderful. Um, he, okay, I did send him two videos. He's uh, texting me to tell me. So can we start with the first video? Again, these are, are the doctors in California, Kern County, California, uh, named Dr. Daniel Erickson and Artin Masahi. Well, because COVID has become the focus, people with heart disease, people with cancer, hypertension, and various things that are critical are choosing not to come in based on fear. So what that's doing is causing the health system to focus on COVID and not focus on a myriad of other things that are critical because we don't have the staff there and major, the major component is fear. People are saying, I don't wanna go get seen by my doctor. What if I get the COVID? Our first initial response two months ago was a little bit of fear. We decide to shut down travel uh, to and from China. These are good ideas when you don't have any facts. We decided to keep people at home and isolate them. Even though everything we've studied about quarantine, typically you quarantine the sick. 
When someone has measles, you quarantine them. We've never seen where we quarantine the healthy, where you take those without disease and without symptoms and lock them in your home. So if we look at California, these numbers are from yesterday. We have 33,865 COVID cases out of a total of 280,900 total tested. That's 12% of Californians were positive for COVID. So we don't, the initial, as you guys know, the initial models were, were woefully inaccurate. They predicted millions of cases of death, not of, not of prevalence or incidence, but death. That is not materializing. What is materializing in the state of California is 12% positives. Well, if we, we have 39.5 million people, if we just take a basic calculation and extrapolate that out, that equates to about 4.7 million cases throughout the state of California, which means this thing is widespread. That's the good news. We've seen 1,227 deaths in the state of California with a possible uh, incidence or prevalence of 4.7 million. That means you have a 0.03 chance of dying from COVID-19 in the state of California. Okay, I must tell you folks, this is, he has such good data and he had that demeanor, you were just watching him. He, he just goes through data. He picks up a piece of paper. He says, let me explain. And he went through, for example, and I, as I say, I had to cut a tiny segment, but he went through picking out instances, specific examples, hospitals where the entire floor is empty because everyone's been sent home. Doctors being furloughed, people not having jobs who used to have jobs, nurses being furloughed, truly people in need of health care, medical care uh, in some one way or another, afraid to go to the doctor, not permitted to go to the doctor, doctor not permitted to engage in surgery. I mean, he's saying that, that everything we've chosen about the way that we handle this virus has actually hurt America. He was very careful several times to say he might have done the same thing, given the same advice as Dr. Fauci did when we first became aware of the virus, that he is not faulting Dr. Fauci saying that from the start he was bad. He's just saying, look, you, as a doctor, as a, as a medical person, you keep acquiring data and then you adjust your opinion based on that data. You adjust your opinion because you have more facts. And so all I wanna do is say facts, facts, facts. I'm gonna tell you one little tidbit before I ask Matt the wonderful to play a second segment from this interview. But it was so interesting. They have all of the, these two doctors sitting there. They're not belligerent. They're not political. They're laying out data. But the questions from the media, there was one guy, and you can never see them on camera, but there was one guy there who was indescribably belligerent, who was saying, so, Drs. Uh, Erickson and Masahi, you think you're smarter than the best immunologist in the whole world. Isn't that what you're saying? You think you're smarter than the best immunologist in the whole world. And you know, they were so cool. They stayed so collected. They just said, well, we're just presenting data. We're just telling you the data we know. We're not criticizing anyone. We're not criticizing any person. We're just telling you data. So the, the on numerous points, my very fine friends and listeners, I want you to take away from this video. One is that we chose a system, a, a protocol in responding to the virus out of extreme panic. We chose a protocol of everybody has to stay home because, and, which as you heard him say, not consistent with the normal way we deal with viruses. We quarantine the sick. We tell people 
if you're sick and you might be contagious, or if you think you ran across someone, you might be contagious, even though you feel okay, you might be, get quarantined. We don't quarantine the healthy, or my term I'm again uses, the healthy are under house arrest in this country. You're healthy, you're fine, you haven't been to Wuhan, you haven't been to Northern Italy, you haven't been working in a, you know, you're fine, but we are putting the healthy under house arrest. He also talked about the fact that it's not just that we did not have to go to the extreme that we did in shelter in place or, you know, putting the healthy under house arrest. It's not just that it wasn't necessary, but it's actually made people more vulnerable because we're not developing our herd immunity in our country. We're not getting more and more people who've had the exposure, been through it, and now have some degree of immunity. I know they always argue about whether you have 100% immunity or not, but you have some degree of immunity. We don't have that anymore. So, and he said also, when you stay home all the time, your immunity system declines, decreases, is not working as well. You're more vulnerable to viruses and infection after you stayed home for a lengthy period of time than you would be had you been out and about engaged in normal life. So this shelter in place not only was an overreaction, was not necessary, but actually made Americans more vulnerable once we end it to the world of viruses in which we live. But let me have asked Matt to want to play the second segment and we'll talk a little bit more about them. I want to share a bunch of other data from other experts who are now speaking up more and more about what we're going to do going forward in this country dealing with the coronavirus. And here is Dr. Erickson again. And then I, early on, we, we told people the truth changes every two hours because it was as the data moves, as we do our own testing, I'm giving a different answer now than I would have a month ago because I understand the progression of disease in this area. I also understand the progression of disease elsewhere because I look at their data. I don't have to live in Manhattan to, to watch their disease process, to watch how many positives in the community and to understand how diseases spread. For instance, nobody talks about the fact that coronavirus lives on plastics for three days and we're all sheltering in place. Where'd you get your water bottles from? Costco. Where'd you get that plastic shovel from? Home Depot. Those are fomites and carriers of disease. So you take your family sheltering in a place that you think is safe and you're taking fomites with disease that they've shown that last three days. Are you really protecting yourself from COVID? Does that make sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me. And if I swabbed things in your home, I would likely find COVID-19. And so you think you're protected, but you've got fomites coming from, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's. And it's okay for us to be mingling in those situations but we have to not go to work. It's okay for us to go to Costco, but not to church. Do, do you see the lack of consistency here? From a, from a microbiological, immunological standpoint, that doesn't make sense. If you're gonna isolate people, you need to shut these all down because that's how the fomites are being transferred. When you go to Del Taco and you get a plastic bag or piece on your burrito from someone not wearing a mask who was just wiping their arm on your thing, do you think you're protected from COVID? When you wear gloves that transfer disease everywhere, those gloves have bacteria all over them. I'm wearing gloves, not helping you. As your mask that you're wearing for days, you touch the outside of it, COVID, and then touch your mouth. This doesn't make any sense. We wear masks in an acute setting to protect us. We're not wearing masks. Why is that? Because we understand microbiology, we understand immunology, and we want strong immune systems. I don't want to hide in my home, develop a weak immune system, and then come out and get disease. 
We have both been in the ER through swine flu and through bird flu. Did we shut down for those? Were, were they much less dangerous than COVID? Is the flu less dangerous than COVID? Let's look at the death rates. No, it's not. They're similar in prevalence and in death rate. So we are saying that our response now, now that we know the facts, it's time to get back to work. It's time to test people. But again, testing gives you a moment in time. Testing tells you, you we, the nasal swab says positive or negative. The blood vial, the tiger top or the finger stick gives you IgG, IgM. IgG being the long-term immun immunoglobulin we look at for immunity. But again, it's a moment in time. And when someone, what's interesting to me too is when someone dies in this country right now, they're not talking about the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the stroke. They say, did they die from COVID? There's, as you, I, we've been to hundreds of autopsies. You, you don't talk about one thing. You talk about comorbidities. Their vessels were narrowed. Their lungs were a smoker. COVID was part of it. It is not the reason they died, folks. It is one of many reasons. So to be so simplistic to say that's a COVID death because they have COVID. You know how many people die with pneumonia or people that die from flu? With flu, I should say. It's not from flu. Their, their lungs were compromised by COPD. They had a heart attack two years ago. They have a weakened body. We aren't pressured to test for flu, but ER doctors now, my friends that I talk to say, you know, it's interesting when I'm, when I'm writing up my death report, I'm being pressured to add COVID. Why is that? Let me answer his question. Why is that? I'll tell you exactly why it is. Because this ability of the leftists in this country who are just infesting our mainstream media the ability to use the coronavirus, our country's response in, to the coronavirus, how what policies we embraced, all of that is seen by the left as a potential way to bring down Donald Trump, to destroy his re-election chances, to harm him. I am not saying the coronavirus is not real. People should never say the coronavirus is a hoax. It is not a hoax. It's a real disease. And for the minute portion of people in this country and around the world, as compared with never infected, who die from it. Of course, it is a hideous, unpleasant, horrible circumstance. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I don't wish it on anyone. But we're allowed to absorb facts, continue to learn facts, and we ought to, as a country, be able to say, because we have new facts, we're going to adjust our policy. We're going to adjust the way we look at our, our decision-making or just the way we decide, you know, who's got to stay home. These guys are saying, forget about shelter in place. It is a bad idea. It's not helping anything. In fact, it's probably it's weakening America, forcing healthy people to shelter in place or house arrest for the healthy is helping the disease hurt more people. It's keeping more people vulnerable. It is not helping. So he was, anyway, full of data. you got to read it yourself. I want to hit other, some other quick doctors uh, and, and tell you this, because there's more and more information coming out. This goes around to my point I said at the start of this segment. I really would love to see Donald Trump say, you know what? We need a second opinion, a second medical opinion, medical opinion in this country about how to respond to the threat of the coronavirus. The media who was in the room with those doctors, I mean, they were just, I didn't even want to humor them by playing their comments, but mocking and ridiculing and, you know, taunting and acting like, well, who do you think you are? You're just some stupid doctors who happen to have between you 40 years of experience dealing with microbiology. You're crazy, you know, Fauci. I mean, it was just, it was so condescending and inappropriate. 
But the media and the left is invested in the idea that coronavirus must be a top of mind fear in the minds of the American public. It must continue the policies that say shelter in place, businesses shut down, America shut down. Those policies must continue. This is how they think. And the idea that these doctors come along saying, actually, you know what? We probably did the wrong thing. Now that we have the data, we probably should have instead quarantined the actually ill, protected the susceptible and vulnerable, and kept America running. Let me tell you a bunch of other great experts also speaking on the same point. One is a gentleman named from Stanford, Dr. Scott Atlas. And these are all available on my website, Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford. And his article was called The Data is in. It's supposed to be the data are in, but okay. The data is in. Stop the panic and end the total isolation. He talks, he says, the over, here are his findings. This is a Stanford doctor. The overwhelming majority of people do not have any significant risk of dying from COVID-19. Protecting older at-risk people eliminates hospital overcrowding. Vital population immunity is prevented which is essentially herd immunity we've been talking about, is prevented by total isolation policies, prolonging the problem. People are dying because other medical care is not getting done due to hypothetical and incorrect projections. And we have a clearly defined population who's at risk, who can be protected with targeted measures. That's Dr. Scott Atlas. We have Dr. David Cass from Yale. I've talked about him before. He said from the start, we should have said, we're gonna do vertical interdiction. We're gonna protect the vulnerable and not horizontal interdiction, which is shut down all of America, which is what we chose to do. We also had the data I mentioned to you previously, um, which was related to the creation of COVID Act Now. We had political players on the American left jump onto this coronavirus emergency as soon as they realized they could exploit it to hurt President Trump. They used the real emergency, the real problem of this virus to exploit, exploited the virus, exploited the fear to hurt President Trump. So we had that COVID Act Now group, I've talked about them before, talking about how they came up with all sorts of astonishingly alarming projections about how many would die. And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, we should do anything to save 2.2 million Americans. Their numbers were, were, fan, were just made up fanciful. We also have now hospitals shutting down. I'll tell you just a few quick data points on that. We have Tenant Healthcare. For, Tenant Healthcare, one of the massive healthcare companies in this country, furloughed 3,400 hospital workers. Mayo Clinic is cutting the pay for over 20,000 workers. Hospitals closing down, being threatened with bankruptcy. We chose a path, and this can be Donald Trump's message to America. We chose a path trying to protect the most lives in the face of data we have now learned was inaccurate. We are now moving forward based on science, based on facts, based on the information we now have to, um, to move forward and try to get America back on track, back to work, back to functioning as America. I'll tell you, the last thing we were talking about herd immunity. I do want to hit more on the topic today, but on this herd immunity subject, the uh, one comparison they made on that video I just had on a moment ago was uh, between Sweden and Denmark. Sweden basically didn't shut anything down. Denmark, and they, they pretty much stayed open. Denmark did the opposite. 
and Sweden's immune is now announcing their stay open approach is creating herd immunity should be they should be at herd immunity within a couple of weeks. And so I tell you, as the uh, efforts, oh, one last data point, just amazing. I, I'm going to go one more story. But one, one last data point I want to hit just to understand this virus is now widely spread around America, widely spread, all sorts of testing. I think it was like 25% of New York City residents have the virus already in their system. Point being, it is not just because, because it's widespread is good. It means that more people are, are on, either have developed immunity or on the path to developing immunity. They're likely unsusceptible to getting it again. They are not going to be the ones spreading it to other people. The more people who have it and get past it is that herd immunity idea. It's a good idea. Also, that the vast majority of people do not get seriously ill. The vast majority, some may think, wow, this is a really bad flu or bad cold. Others have minor problem. Here's another data point, mind-blowing. They did a study of inmates in four different state prisons in America, four prisons. They found 3,300 inmates who tested positive for coronavirus. 3,300 inmates tested positive for coronavirus. 96% of them, no symptoms. They just, I mean, the, the idea that we had to shut down this country over the virus, uh, you know, we can deal later with the question of what, if anything, motivated Dr. Fauci to come up with a plan. And you can just, if you want to say just goodwill and love for America and knowledge of immunology, fine, whatever it is. My point is, at this point, we have to make a sea change. We need a sea change in the way we open, with the way we address coronavirus policy in this country. We need President Trump to come on strong and say, we're going to listen to new information. We're going to act on new data. We're going to move forward in a more robust way to reopen this country. President Trump does have out his guidelines related to the reopening of America. Um, I downloaded them. I'm going to have uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert join me on Wednesday of this week. I want to ask him what he thinks about all of this, uh, whether whether President Trump's uh, guidelines are too detailed or, or not detailed. What does he? I'm going to ask him if he agrees that maybe President Trump ought to be asking for a second medical opinion um, on the uh, dealing with the um, uh, the policy we choose to respond to the coronavirus in America. Okay, one more topic I want to hit today, and I mentioned at the start of the show. There's a lot in the news about Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and whether he might actually be freed in the relatively near future. I want to just quickly explain what's happened with that. We had uh, his attorney, Sidney Powell, on the show, I think that was last week. Uh, so if you, you know, if you are listening to this, especially a first-time listener, you can go to our YouTube page, America Can We Talk, or under my name, Debbie Georgiatis, or America Can We Talk, on YouTube, and you can easily find the interview. It's a great interview. She's a stellar lawyer. She was talking about well, where she, uh, pending where we are in the Flynn case, and then she was also talking about her new book, which is, gonna, which is a great book. But the news about Lieutenant General Michael Flynn this week is that Attorney General Barr, you know, the big hassle with, the, uh, with Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, he pled guilty, uh, into a, a charge in early 2017, um, and it has since appeared that he was being uh, played, manipulated by the FBI, um, and was uh, misled about a variety of things, and that he, so he's wanted at this point to try to withdraw his guilty plea. The FBI, the DOJ, has 
behaved horribly in this case. There was evidence that when he was interviewed, when they, when the FBI first sent people over, when he had his brief stint as national security advisor with President Trump, FBI sent people over to interview him. He, uh, you know, spoke spoke forthrightly, answered their questions, and one of the people who was there was making notes. One of the FBI agents interrogating him, and by the way, they didn't tell him he was a subject, which is all by itself not permissible policy conduct by the FBI, but. He thought it was a friendly interview. He's working for the Trump administration. This is the Trump FBI, you know, friendly, trying to be helpful interview. But the FBI agent, one of them who was there questioning him, wrote in the notes afterwards that they believed that they perceived that the way what uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was saying was true. They perceived him as honest and giving honest answers. So case rolls forward. I mean, there are all sorts of iterations we can't get into today. You can actually, if you go back to my, my, either my um, website, americacanwetalk.org, my, my uh, Facebook page takes a long time to scroll down there, but the YouTube channel, you find other interviews I've done um, of Sydney Powell. She's explained all the legal intricacies, but the big news of today is that the Attorney General Barr brought in a U.S. attorney, an outside U.S. attorney from Missouri, into the Department of Justice to look over the information, the uh, documents available inside uh, the FBI that the uh, the Sidney Powell, Attorney General, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, are wanting access to, trying to what Attorney General, uh, uh, excuse me, what Attorney General Barr is trying to do is figure out whether the people who worked on Lieutenant General Michael Flynn prosecution, the one, the FBI who investigated him, did they behave properly and in accordance with law? Are they turning over all information that are required by the Brady rule to turn over in this ongoing uh, prosecution of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn? So Barr brought in an outsider, a U.S. attorney uh, named uh, Timothy Shea uh, from the Eastern District of Missouri. Timothy Shea went over what the FBI has and apparently withheld from previous document requests, withheld, did not turn over to Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's attorney, Sidney Powell. And this guy actually apparently willing to follow this standard in law. And when you, the Brady rule is very broad. If you're being prosecuted, the Brady rule says the government has to turn everything over to you that could possibly be exculpatory, that could help help in your defense, that could help reduce your sentence or impact the sentence. It's very broad. And and God bless Sidney Powell being smart enough to recognize they're, they're holding things back. They're not turning things over. She is tenacious. She's brilliant. She's unrelenting. And she kept saying they're not turning things over. So finally, Barr brought in this guy, this U.S. attorney, Eastern District of Missouri, Timothy Shea. Lo and behold, this past Friday, a new filing was made, filing was made by the DOJ, returning in new documents, turning over new documents to the court and to Sidney Powell. Um, and they were sealed. The documents were turned over, but they were sealed. And it appears, based on how Sidney Powell at least sees this, Sidney Powell sees this as 
she has now evidence that the Brady rule was violated, that the the uh, prosecutors did not turn over everything they were obligated to turn over. Uh, in fact, a new player in this whole, I mean, I've heard his name before, but unless you're completely nerdy about this whole episode with Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, you might not know the guy's name, but now there's another person who's apparently going to be added to the list of people to watch closely, who was probably um, a significant wrongdoer, uh, adding to the list of Comey, Brennan, McCabe, Strzok, Page, Rosenstein, is Dana Buente. And Dana Buente uh, was apparently uh, the attorney that was overseeing and was a part of the um, uh, urging of the FBI not to turn over documents that they really had an obligation to turn over. And so Sidney Powell's tweet, breaking this is her tweet. I love her. The government just the government just provided the Flynn defense with remarkable new and long withheld Brady evidence. Letter below just filed. Stay tuned. Real Donald Trump. Then she goes on uh, listing um, other people. She's she's had, uh, copying on her, her um, tweet. But the uh, letter from the attorney from U.S. Attorney Timothy Shea said to Sidney Powell and to the uh, another attorney. Uh, Dear counsel, beginning in January 2020, at the direction of Attorney General Barr, the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Missouri has been conducting a review of, of the Michael Flynn investigation. The review by this attorney has involved the analysis of reports related to the investigation, along with communications and notes by Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI personnel associated with the investigation. The enclosed documents were obtained and analyzed in March and April of this year and are provided to you as a result of this ongoing review, additional documents may be forthcoming. So this guy, the outsider who wasn't part of the whole Comey, et cetera, cabal, wasn't part of the DOJ FBI effort to get Trump and to get Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, a, you know, an actual person who understands the law and what the requirements of the Brady Rule are, reviewing documents turned over, we don't know what they were, but an undisclosed set of documents turned over last Friday, now in the hands of Sidney Powell, the very capable Sidney Powell, who I'm sure is going to make um, the most of them. So, um, in fact, she is using the expression, she claims her client was framed and has evidence to prove it. This is what uh, Sidney Powell has been saying. And there's actually talk that maybe the entire case is going to be dropped as early as this week. So, in fact, uh, Sidney Powell is claiming uh, that her client was set up um, and the um, exculpatory evidence now received uh, from the FBI uh, is going to help her show that. So, big, big news, especially, it's amazing, you know, we I do this show every day or four days a week, and in the past, whatever it is, five, six weeks, it seems like all we can talk about is the coronavirus. But let me go back and remind you, as I'm closing up the show today, remind you how significant the prosecution of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was how consequential the government's conduct in the way it chose to go after candidate Trump in 2016, the way it chose to use and abuse the FISA court process with the mission and intention of misrepresenting facts to the FISA court to get search warrants issued so they could spy on a political enemy. This is under the Obama administration, the Democrat infiltrated FBI DOJ using that process of FISA to get after a political opponent. This is 
lower than low. This has no place. It could never belong in the justice system in this country. We've had years of lies and stagnation. We had the Mueller investigation ongoing uh, and, you know, digging under every, uh, lifting up every rock, digging under every every place I could, every person I could talk to, every document they could find, and document requests and, and interrogations and depositions, and came up with nothing. They actually, because of their conduct, prove what Trump was saying all along, this is a witch hunt. I am being, I had no collusion with the Russians. I'll tell you one more thing before I, I go to our uh, closing out for today. Uh, there was a story recently, I'm going to dig in more before I uh, lay it all out for you, but there's now evidence that John Brennan, who appears to be the mastermind, I mean, people of, of this whole Trump-Russia collusion farce, this hoax, this story they made up in Washington in order to, to try to destroy President Trump or candidate Trump and then President Trump, but there's a story talking out there about the idea that John Brennan, the, master, the parent mastermind, was key in suppressing information, keeping it from becoming available, that showed that the Russians in 2016 were not trying to help Trump win, they were trying to help Hillary win. And those of you who are long-term listeners to my show know, I have said this for from the beginning for years. If you are the Russians and you're, you know, past communism, but not really, and you have a very government-controlled society, you're socialist, you're left-wingers, you want an ally in the White House who's a left-winger too, which would have been Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton never presented a threat to the Russian, to Putin at all. She was a joke as Secretary of State. They saw her as someone they could control and manipulate. Of course, the Russians hoped Hillary was going to win. Of course, the Russians did not want to have a guy like Donald Trump, you know, who is pro-America, America first, strong on America, and in their view, fairly unpredictable, which is one of his traits we love about him. But I'm going to dig in this story more, but I want to plant that seed and, and talk about it again, how important that is to recognize, because if John Brennan actually, who was the head of the CIA at the time, if he knew that the Russians were really manipulating things to be sure that Hillary won, which appears, and, and he was hiding evidence, blocking the release of evidence that showed that the Russians were supporting Hillary, and instead let this whole massive lie of a hoax of investigation into the non-existent Trump-Russia collusion go forward, he was willing to, he knew from the start, not just that he cooked the whole thing up, he knew, it seems, that the Russians were behind Hillary, that they didn't even want Trump. They would not have been trying to help Trump. They would not have been doing anything to help Trump, and Trump wouldn't have been turning to them for help either. This is another big revelation in what Attorney General Barr has called the single biggest scandal in American history. We might be in the middle of dealing with the coronavirus and the devastation to our economy, and we have to get through this. But we cannot lose sight of the profound significance of the story of what happened in the inside the FBI and DOJ and CIA 2015, 2016, and ongoing in order to destroy the duly elected president of the United States. And as I always do at the end of every show, I try to tell you again why the stories we talked about today matter to you. 
So today we started our show in talking about Biden busted. And these are allegations by Tara Reid. Uh, Joe Biden, um, she um, claimed he assaulted her. That claim has been corroborated by her mother's contemporaneous call to the Larry King show and by a still pro-Biden Democrat neighbor who heard her complain at the time. Comparison to the treatment of Brett Kavanaugh is stunning. No corroborating evidence of any kind as to time, place, or action. Democrat senators voted against Kavanaugh, yet they're silent on Biden. This should permanently put the lie to the Me Too and believe the women as nothing but leftist, excuse me, I'm sorry, as nothing but leftist tactics for attaining political power for their pro-abortion agenda. Nothing whatsoever to do with moral values or justice or truth. And on reopening America, the virus, politics versus science and why it matters to you. Follow the science? Okay, I'm in favor of that. Let's follow the science. Multiple credentialed medical experts around the country are saying their high infection rates exist. New York City, 25%. And they prove, therefore, very low lethality. Herd immunity needed. Stay at home and social distancing is the worst possible action. Media never questions the substance, only questions who's the best expert. Prison studies showed of 3,300 infected, 96% asymptomatic, without symptoms, and government officials are releasing prisoners everywhere. Another good point. Why no second opinion for America? Why unwavering allegiance to Fauci and Burks? Why the dismissal of these new facts? And finally, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn to be free. Credit to Attorney General Barr, he appointed outside the Beltway U.S. Attorney to review the work of Beltway DOJ. U.S. Attorney from Missouri discovered and produced to Flynn to the Flynn court, voluminous Brady material, material under seal. But attorney Sidney Powell has now argued for more strenuously for dismissal. I think we didn't get to this um, credit to, there we go, um, has argued for his dismissal. This is the tip of the iceberg stuff. The FBI and DOJ caught in corruption was as bad as anything in American history, framing and entrapping a three-star general because Obama didn't like Flynn's take on the Islamic threat. We've talked about that in the past in the show and was helping Trump. This behavior permeated the entire Russia collusion hoax and the Ukraine impeachment scam. Barr, Durham need to deliver indictments and arrests soon. The American people know what happened and we are they are running out of patience. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thanks for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-